Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, as we kind of make a transition here now, we ask that you would be with us, and as you have already been with us, your Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts and our lives so much this morning. You have been so good. You're so good to us, Lord. We just give you praise for all that you do. And what a privilege it is, Lord, to be a part of that. I pray for their family. I pray right now for you to help them. I pray for our church right now, Lord. We're going through things. Everybody does, and there's times. And uh, Lord, we just need your help. We need you to guide and direct and teach and open our minds and our hearts to whatever you have in mind. Lord, this is your church. We're your people. And we've gathered here, and it's not an accident that we're together. You have gathered us together for a reason today, and you have something you want to say. So Lord, speak to us. Speak to your servant. Speak to my heart. Teach me today. Lord, there are several that are sick today, and we want to lift up to you people that are hurting right now. I pray for Chris Neal. She's in the hospital, Lord, in her stomach, and I pray right now that you would bring your healing on her. I pray for Amy Moore that you continue with the healing for her, for Larry uh, Jackson, Lord, continue to bring healing into their lives. Lord, I pray for Melody Barlow, uh, Lord, that you would touch her and just heal and be with her and strengthen her today. And Lord, just everyone who is out with whatever, there's some that are just sick today, not feeling well, Lord, touch each and every person, and may you just be glorified in all that we do. Thank you, Lord. We love you, and we just praise you for everything you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to look at two different scripture. One is going to be Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and we did a little bit with that last week, and I want to continue on with that a little bit this week. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and have those open. You know, I was thinking about this this week. I was reading some things, and, and um, you know, the Navy SEAL team, and we hear a lot about Navy SEALs and who they are and what they are and all that sort of thing, and the Navy SEAL teams that we hear so much about are some of the most highly trained special force troops in the whole world. They have had incredible amounts of training. They are incredible people, and they do incredible things. To become a Navy SEAL, you have to be under the age of 28 when you enlist. You have to be a male. I know, not too many things like that left in the world, that's for sure. And you have to be a U.S. citizen. You are not born into the SEAL team. If your dad was a SEAL, that doesn't make you a SEAL. Okay, Uh, you know, if your brother's a seal, you're not a seal. He is, but you're not. You have to make the choice to become a seal. The seals are young men who have grown up in a normal way. They've grown up in pretty much normal environments, doing normal things, and they've made a decision. And I want you to listen to this. They have made a decision, a choice to enlist in the Navy, and then they make a choice once in the Navy to enlist in the seal training program. It's a choice they make. And of all the recruits that enter and enlist to become SEALs, only 1% will finally make it and join a SEAL team. 1%. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that is just insane. 
But the training is so demanding, to say the least. All the recruits go through the 24-week basic underwater demolition SEAL school. I'm not sure what that means, but it sounds tough. They train for 30 months before they're ever deployed on a mission. 30 months. That's crazy. They go through what they call Hell Week, which consists of five days of constant training, and they get four hours of sleep most at night. How many of you could handle that right now? Four hours of sleep. That's all you need, right? Anybody here? Yeah, Yeah, moms, but you know, it ain't going to last forever. (laughs) They stand waist deep in cold water for hours until they're numb. They, They stand on cold, windy beaches, wet and freezing, waiting on instructions. They can't just say, I'm tired, I'm going to go lay down, take a nap. They wait. They're tested, they're trained, and 99% of them do what they call ring the bell. They drop out. They say, enough, I can't do it, and they drop out. Finally, 1% of those who become part, uh, who join become part of the Navy SEAL teams. Well, last week I preached a message using the scripture, Romans 12, 1, and it's this, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your life your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And I said that if life is going to have real meaning, it has to be lived for things that matter. It has to be lived for things that are going to last forever. And you know what I know? I know that nothing in this world is going to last forever except for one thing, and that is your relationship with Jesus Christ. What you do in your relationship with Christ will last forever. Everything else is going to go away. I worked in the hospital when I was uh, in high school, and I remember seeing babies as they were born, naked, bald, no teeth. You know, they would come into the world with nothing. I watched a man who was very wealthy, brought in, he had a heart attack, and they took everything away from him, a a watch, a ring, all of his clothes, his toupee, uh, his teeth, uh, and he died bald, no teeth, and with nothing. He took nothing with him from this world. He could not. If he was a Christian, he took that relationship. But that's the only thing that he took into eternity. It's the only thing that will last into eternity. And Paul tells us that when we give our lives to Jesus Christ for his full use, that that is our only reasonable act of worship. Nothing else we do is reasonable. You know, we can, we can sing songs and break guitar strings up here all day long, and it's a good thing. I have no problem with it. I love our worship time. I really do. And I, I, I'm excited because, you know, right now half the church is on vacation and out doing stuff and getting ready because school's getting ready to start, and, and uh, half of the worship team's out, and it's going to be coming back soon, and we're going to get everybody back together, and it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. We enjoy it. But you know what? What we sing and what we do up here has no meaning, has really no meaning whatsoever as worship, except it's an expression of the fact that we've given ourselves fully to Jesus Christ. He's all that matters. And that's our reasonable act of worship. So follow me here. This verse, these verses, they suggest that presenting our lives to God as a living sacrifice is a choice. You and I get to choose that. We don't have to do it. God doesn't say, if you don't do it, you know, I'm going to come and squash you like a bug right now. It's not like that. You and I get to choose. We can say, I don't want to. We can do whatever we want with this life. He's given it to us. But at a specific time and in a specific way and in a place, we make a decision to die to ourselves and live for the purpose of God. In other words, when we decide to give him our lives as a living sacrifice, we enlist. We enlist. That's just the beginning. And I want you to get that right now. That is just 
the beginning. That's not something that's been finished at that point. When you give God your entire life and say, you're mine, I'm yours, and, and you can use me for whatever you want, that is not the end of all things. That is just the beginning. When a Navy sailor decides that he wants to be a SEAL, he has to make a decision, and that's followed up by a sacrifice. If you don't think that's a sacrifice, you need to think again. It's a huge sacrifice. When they enlist, they make a sacrifice. The Navy SEAL program gets the entire recruit. Heart, soul, and mind. Every part of him becomes a Navy SEAL. He's not a Navy SEAL sort of. Or I'm kind of a Navy SEAL. He's in or he's out. The SEALs know there is a transformation that must take place in that individual. He cannot be that same person. He has to change. No longer can that recruit think and act like a civilian or even a regular sailor. There there are no days off from being a SEAL. Even when you take a day off, if there is such a thing, you're still a SEAL. And any moment, in any time, you're to act and live like you're a SEAL. He now must be transformed into that SEAL. His thoughts will be different. His mind will think differently. He will see things through a different mindset. His core values are going to change. That's what they do. They change your core values. His priorities are going to be changed. He has to transform from being regular Joe civilian who lives to please himself to Joe Navy SEAL, a living sacrifice. That transformation makes him different than almost anyone else on the face of the earth. There are very few of those who can claim, I have been or I am a Navy SEAL. And that transformation will be going on as long as he remains. He will continually be transformed. He is transformed. He is being transformed. You need to remember that part right there. When we offer our lives to Jesus Christ as living sacrifices, that's just the beginning. Again, we've been recruited by Jesus Christ. We've been pursued. He pursued us with all he could. We sang about that this morning. He left the 99. He pursued the one. That's you and me. Each one of us can claim to be the one. He pursued us. We did not pursue him. He chased us down, fought and found us, and knocked down every wall, whatever he had to do. He came after you, and he came after me. And we have said yes to him. When he found us, we looked at him and said, yes, I will follow you. We've offered our lives to him in view of what he's done for us. But again, that's only the beginning. I fear that too many times we think of that as the end of all things. I think that at times we think that when we have done that, we've done everything we need to do. But that's only the beginning. It's not the end. It's the enlistment. If you're truly going to live out the life of a living sacrifice, there must be a transformation in your life that takes place. God wants to transform you. He wants to make you into something else. I give you my life as a living sacrifice. These are not just words we say. It's commitment. Like I was talking to the uh, the family here this morning, when we dedicate babies, it's not just a tradition. It's not just a form we go through. There's something behind those words. When we give our lives to Christ, there is something behind that living sacrifice that we need to understand. It's a commitment to totally and completely live my life in a different way. I am not like the rest of the world I've given my life to Christ. We go through a transformation, and we are being transformed, and we live in transformation. We learn to live out this transformed, changed life. It's a change of priorities. It's a change of our core values, the things that seem to matter most. There is a total transformation that has to take place. 
And here's the deal. It can only take place by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. You and I cannot change ourselves. We can try, but it will not work. If you have met Christ and if you've accepted him as your savior, if you've somewhere along the way asked him to forgive you of your sins and you live as a Christian, then the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's what we know, that God comes to live in us and that the Holy Spirit lives in you. In Romans chapter 12, again, verse 2, we're showing how this process works. We are not to conform any longer to the patterns of this world. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what is Paul talking about here? What are the patterns of this world? And I want to talk about that for a minute. And also, transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? And I want to talk about that as well. So first off, what do we mean by the patterns of this world? We're no longer to be conformed to the patterns of this world. See, there is a kingdom of the world and there is a kingdom of God. And it is best seen as we watch people live. The patterns with which people live their lives tell us to which kingdom their allegiance is. It's pretty clear to watch people. They stand in stark contrast to each other. One can easily know which kingdom you are loyal to by the things that you do with your life. We've been taught and have lived in the values and the patterns of the world from the very beginning. And this is the very natural way of existing and, and living in the world that we live in. The natural, unregenerated, unforgiven, unsaved man or woman lives by the patterns of the world. They're patterns like self-centeredness, self-gratification, self-indulgence, greed, lust, lying, anger, retaliation, and using others for what we can get from them. These are some of, not the complete list of things, that look like the patterns, the patterns of this world. And we know and live out these patterns of life from the very beginning. The young little babies here, I promise you, they're very selfish right now. They think mom exists for them, period. They don't think about her feelings ever. They wake her up in the middle of the night and say, feed me. And it's good, okay, right now. But when they're 14 and doing that, then there's a problem. Look at the headlines on any given day, and you'll notice that people still live by these patterns. It doesn't take much to figure that out. Look at the relationships you have at work, at home, anywhere, and you will see these patterns being lived out in people's lives. They are considered normal. I read a psychologist recently who said it's normal... It's normal behavior for people to lie to each other. And the world believes that. That's a pattern of the world. Jesus has revealed and he teaches us a different set of values and patterns to live by. Jesus shows us that the values and the patterns of life in the kingdom of God, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, and also when Paul the Apostle, Apostle writes about this in detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 13, verse 13 and following. Take a look with me at 1 Corinthians right now. And, and I want to talk about the problems here uh, that were going on in, in 1 Corinthians, or in the Corinthian area. The, the, the area of Corinth was a, a, a very, you know, very worldly area, very secular area. Uh, Paul had gone in there and had started a church and it had flourished and begun to grow and 
and then problems begin to arise. He's gone away for a while, and as he's gone, he gets a letter, and the letter they're telling him about things that are going on. There's divisions in the church. There's people that are saying, well, I follow Paul, and I follow Peter, and I follow this one, Apollos, and another one that says, well, we're Messiah people, and, and Paul is shaking his head like, how in the world can you get so confused? There are people, there's a, one man who is living with his stepmother, and not just living with her, but, you know, in the sense, but sexually active with his stepmother, and he's a part of the church. And all this is going on. It just keeps going on. It's, it's very, very difficult when you read it, and as you read it, you begin to realize it sounds a little bit like what happens in the world that we live in today. It's a very secular society. So Paul simply asked them to think with him, and he asked the question starting in verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And then he writes, I'm thankful I didn't baptize any of you except for uh, Serpus and Gaius. And so no one knows or can say that you were baptized in my name. And then it moves on. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And, and then he goes on. So the gospel, or, or let me just comment on that a minute. The gospel is the good news. It's the it's the news of the change of values, the change of priorities of the kingdom of God versus the patterns of the world. And Paul's reminding them that none of this is his idea. He's not teaching you wisdom, Paul wisdom. He's teaching you godly wisdom here. And moving on, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. See, the, the whole pattern of the world, the wisdom of the world He's saying it's not going to lead you into good things. You're not going to come out on top. It's going to lead you into places you don't want to go. I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. I'm going to take out the wisdom of the world. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. God's wisdom, the way of the kingdom frustrates, makes no sense to those who are lost. Have you noticed that today? When you start talking about being a Christian, immediately people go, well, well, you know, you're, you know they, they roll their eyes, disdain look at you like you're crazy, because they live by the wisdom of the world. They do not understand the depth of understanding that God has given to you because you are a Christian, because you're a believer. He has given you things that you cannot begin to imagine. He has given you a way of life that you cannot begin to imagine. He has taught you things that the world do, uh, does not understand, and they are frustrated by all those who live the way and the wisdom of the world. See, it's not by your intellect that you're saved. I could stand up here and I could preach to you intellectual sermons and I could go through them all and explain every detail of every little thing and it will not save you or anyone else. Our wisdom does not save us. It's not by knowing the word that you're saved. I know people who can quote chapter and verse. I listen to politicians. They all quote the Bible. Not just one, but all of them are always quoting the Bible. They know, they understand some of it. But guess what? They're not all being saved. You can know and not be saved. It's not by our intellect or not by our power that we succeed. It's not by the world's understanding and intellect that will solve the problems we face. If we could solve it, they would. There is some incredible intellect. The power of computers is overwhelming. If they could use intellect to fix the world, then they would do it. The drug addiction would be over. But it's not. Dishonesty would stop, but it doesn't. 
It is by trusting and learning to lean into Jesus that we're saved. And they do not understand that trusting. Show me. I heard someone recently, they told me, they said, I'm a scientist. Mix it up. Show me. Give me proof. And I said, Jesus, he doesn't come to us by proof. He comes by faith. You have to trust him. And they went, roll their eyes. Oh, you're just, there's something wrong with you. No, you misunderstand. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. That makes no sense to the world. A stumbling block to Jews. Foolishness to Gentiles. And it is foolishness to those who hear it and don't have the Spirit of God who is opening up their mind to truth. But to those whom God has called, both Jews, Greeks, and Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And he's doing that right now. We may not get that. And a lot of us are walking around going, well, I feel kind of stupid. And you know what? Christianity doesn't make sense. Intellectually, I understand where they're coming from. By faith, I have come to believe and accept that Jesus Christ is real and he lives in my heart. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. The world says, hey, look, you know, power is what you got to have. Buy more stuff, get more influence, and then you can have the world. You can change it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Humble yourself. Give in. And the world changes. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I read that and it, it, you know, and it begins to resonate. To me, when I read that, it sounds so much like where we're at today. How the world is so looking at Christianity, looking at us, looking at people who believe and saying, you know, fools fools the kingdom of god life it's a totally different way of looking at life it's totally foreign to the world and the way of the world the patterns of the kingdom are this trust and obedience versus forcing my own way it's leaning into jesus versus depending on my own intellect and understanding it's trusting in jesus to help you versus lying to gain an advantage have you ever been in that situation where it would have been so much easier to lie about it? So much easier because you know you would have gotten an advantage if you could just tell them what they wanted to hear, but you couldn't. You had to tell the truth. That's the way of the kingdom. It's doing what Jesus calls us to do versus what I want to do. It's submitting to Jesus versus ruling by power and might. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said kingdom life means that we treat others as we want to be treated versus treating people like they treat us or retaliating against them. Kingdom life means turning the other cheek versus punching them in the face. And boy, I don't like to do that. It means seeking the kingdom rather than seeking for my own way to be done. It means that when someone asks me to carry their coat, which is difficult because it's usually asked by someone who I don't really want to do anything for, I say yes and I pick up their coat.
coat and I walk not one mile, but I do it too. I double up. To the world, the unsaved man, this sounds ridiculous and stupid. I even hear people who claim to be followers of Jesus say, well, Jesus didn't really mean for us to do that literally, but he did. Oh, he did. Trust me. That's to be taken literally. The problem is, is that we cannot live this out on our own power. And that's the, far, uh, that's the, uh, the problem that I see. That's the frustration that I see in people's lives. They cannot live this out on their own power. How do we get to this place in our lives where we are so radically changed, transformed, that the kingdom of God priorities and values become our default action versus the kingdom of the world priorities and values? Because right now, in the non-Christian, the world priorities are our default How do we get to a place where the kingdom of God priorities become our default action? How do we become completely transformed or reprogrammed? What does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? The word Paul uses for transformation is the same word we would use for metamorphosis. When I was in seminary, I bought a 1964 TR4 Triumph. Actually, it was a 63 TR4 Triumph. I bought that car when it was pretty much uh, down as luck. It had been sitting for about 10 years. It hadn't been started, and, and uh, the body was in pretty good shape, but there was some issues. That somebody had robbed the, the transmission out of it and put a lesser transmission, a TR3 transmission in it, and the rear end was stripped out. The gears in the rear end were stripped out. But I bought it for a little bit of nothing, and I drug it home. And I knew that if that car was ever going to be any good at all, I needed to do some work on it. And so I went to work on it. I bought the car and I began to do a transformation, a metamorphosis. Now, here's the deal. I could have covered that car up. I could have spray painted it like it was. I could have covered the seats like they were. I could have put new tires on it and said, well, it looks like it's pretty good. I think it's okay now. But in short time, the paint that I would have put over the rust would have rusted through and would have come off. The car still would not have been able to drive because the rear end didn't work and the new tires wouldn't have mattered and the seats wouldn't have mattered. None of that would have mattered. I knew that if that car was ever going to be a true driver, I had to replace all the broken parts. I had to get rid of the rear end that was there and build or rebuild it, and I had to find the right transmission. I knew that it needed to have a whole new interior. I had to sand the body clear down. I had to take the body apart off and clean up the frame. I had to rebuild the brake cylinders. I had to rebuild a a lot of parts and put it together. The, The carburation system, new fuel lines, the electrical system. I did all of that because it needed a metamorphosis. It needed a transformation. See, you and I are not just a little bit worn out. We don't need just a new set of tires. You getting this? I'm a basket case. Now, some of you go, yeah, I know. And I understand that. You're right. My life, it was fully patterned after the world. Everything about it was that. I wanted what I wanted. I'm a selfish person. I want my own way. I want to do what I want to do. And I want everybody to do what I want them to do. Anybody else here want to admit to that? I've come to the place where I recognize my brokenness and I wanted to let go of the old ways and be new. We sometimes call it hitting the bottom. I laugh when I talk about that because I said, why is it that some people hit the bottom and take a shovel with them and try to dig a little deeper? I want to let go of the past, but I needed more than just a cover-up. I needed a lot more than that. And here's what usually happens. Sometimes 
when this happens, something happens and I decide I want to start all over. I've hit my bottom. I'm tired of the way I'm living, so I'm going to do it all. So I download the Bible app on my phone. I put a fish on my car, and I say, I'll be in church every Sunday from now on. But I soon find that it doesn't work. The Bible app doesn't get opened. The fish, I finally take off because, you know, it's hard to have a fish on your car while you're flipping someone off out the window. And I get to church when I can, but I don't always make it. I find that the paint is peeling off. In reality, nothing has changed in my heart. And see, it has to begin here. There has to be a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need a full uh, realization that woe is me. Remember in Isaiah, when Isaiah is chapter 6, when he meets with the Lord? He didn't say, oh, look, I got some things wrong. He goes, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And there's a holy God. And I don't match up. And that's what we need. There's got to be a place where we quit playing this game and saying, well, I'm not that bad. Guys, we're messed up. We're broken sinners. And there is a holy God. Woe is me. I'm lost. The past has a hold of me. I want to be different, but the old stuff just keeps breaking through. And Paul says there's a way. He says, you and I, we need to present our bodies to Christ. It's an act of worship. It's an act of obedience. It's a a moment of hopeless obedience. It's a moment where I get on my knees and I say, God, there's nothing left. Here I am. Do with me as you see fit, just like Isaiah did. You let go of the past. You look to Jesus for your help. You forgive those who've harmed you at one time where a lot of us get stuck right there i'm not going to preach on that but just think about that if you're going to truly be forgiven you got to forgive you can't sit there and say well you don't know what they did to me oh i know and i'm not telling you that what they did is okay i'm not even telling you you have to accept them and like that but you got to forgive them you got to put it on the altar you got to say, God, you take over. You're in charge. You forgive those who harmed you. You allow God to change who you are. He offers to change your values. You begin to have new values. A whole new core value system begins to take place in you. He shows you how to change your priorities on a day at a time, uh, every day at a, one at a time by renewing your mind. And how does God renew this mind? There's a one-time act of surrender and presentation and sanctification. And then I have, to ha- I, I, I have to have that encounter with Christ, that woe is me moment. And then I confess, I repent, and I surrender everything I am to him. And that's followed up by daily living by faith in Jesus, practicing your faith daily. Now, I've got to ask you a question. How much, how many, how many of the recruits to the SEAL team make it who say, I'll train on the days when I feel like it? I mean, how ridiculous is that, right? I mean, that's a 100% dropout right there. And that's why Christians are failing. We train on the days when we feel like it. But when I get up in the morning, I just don't feel like it. To say, yeah, I'm just not going to live it today. And don't look around, because I know the truth that every one of us struggle with that. And no amount of what you do will change you if you're not fully depending on him. If you're not going, okay, God. I'm here. I'm with you. You trust Jesus. You let difficult times teach you. How many of you have ever had a difficult day? Any difficult days recently? Did you let God teach you in that day or did you fight back and say, you're not 
being fair. I don't like being like this. There needs to be a day where we start welcoming the difficult days and saying, okay, I can tell you right now, the SEAL recruit faces difficult days and knows that that is what is going to turn him into something that he's not right now. And then we trust Jesus. Daily, we make choices and we trust him. Daily, I choose to follow Jesus to be all his. Daily, I have to surrender each moment, each moment, each moment. Sometimes it's each second, each second. I got to say yes, I got to say yes. You know, when it gets tough and when things are happening, when you're standing in waist-deep water, you got to be focusing second by second on yes. Yes, I'll do what it takes. Daily, I, I, I learn to depend upon him for my strength to do this. Daily, I submit my life to the truth of the Scripture for comparison. You know, when you read the Scripture, you're not reading it just to say, I read it. You're putting your life here and the Scripture here, and you say, do I match up? And if I don't, what do I need to change? That's why we read the Scripture. Daily, I pray, not so that I can change somebody over here or so that I can get my kids to straighten up, but I pray daily so that God can reflect His light on me and I can learn who I am in light of God and say, okay, change me. Make me different than I am now. Daily, I adjust my focus to get it off of me and off of the world and onto Him. Daily, I meditate on Him and the values of the kingdom. And I look at the values of the kingdom and I say, okay, how does that affect my life? And then I put my life up there next to it. And then I say, okay, Lord, change my life. Help me to develop new, new values, new ways. Daily, I surrender my priorities, my will to Him, so that come what may, the kingdom gets the priority, not me. And when I fail along the way, and you're going to, I don't give up. Failing is not a time to quit. Instead, I get on my knees, I confess it, I seek His forgiveness and His loving correction, and I get back up and I work. I'm going to tell you something. When the Navy SEALs are training, there are guys who do it wrong, and guess what? They call them back and they say, here, let me show you how to do it right. You're going to get this right or you're not going to get it at all. And that's what God's doing. He's showing us how to get it right so that we can keep going. See, the sanctified life isn't a life of perfection. It's a life of perfect willingness to be guided by the will of God. It's a perfect willingness to submit myself to Him and say, okay, do in me whatever you choose to do. It's a perfect willingness to let the Holy Spirit live in me. It is a perfect willingness to learn the patterns of the kingdom. And as I do that, my life, my priorities will be transformed into kingdom priorities. And it seems to me, in the last few years, especially... But in all time, it seems to me that we in the church have been doing the same thing over and over and over and over. And I read somewhere that doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results is a true sign of insanity. And I sometimes worry that the church is a little insane. Because I see us doing that and I don't see lives being transformed. I see us talking, spending money, spending lots and lots of time trying our best to, to make everybody happy and to keep everybody in church and to make everybody feel good. I see people who claim to be saved, but little in our lives ever truly reflect that Jesus Christ has truly changed us. And I think the reason is because we're living without renewal of our minds we're living and just letting everything be like it was. Oh, I'm a Christian, but I go on and do whatever I was doing before and expect everything to be different. And that just isn't going to happen. It just isn't going to happen. 
easiest thing in the world for me to do is to say, Lord, this is what I want to do. I present myself to you. Kneel at this altar in prayer. And I'm always thankful when I see people, when I preach a sermon like that and people pray, and I'm not disregarding that in any, any way. That's so easy. The hardest thing in the world for us to do is to live daily in the renewed mind, in the renewal of our mind that leads to transformation. It's, it's so hard because I get up in the morning and, you know, I kind of want to do my own thing. Anybody here understand that? We need a transformation. And guys, we can't quit. We can't ring the bell and say, oh, it's too hard. I'm, 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 I'm out of here. And here's the good news. Let me, let me help you with this. You don't have to go it alone. Okay? The Holy Spirit goes with you right now. And you go, well, what's that? When you have that encounter with Jesus, you're going to know the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and be in your heart. You're going to experience him. He's going to speak to you. He's going to guide you. He's going to tell you what he wants you to hear. And you've got to tune your ear to it. You've got to start listening for it. Okay? There are things in this world I can't hear. I know some of you out there, you can't hear less than, you, can, you can't hear more than I can't hear. But you know what I mean? There's things I cannot hear. My ear is not tuned to. But there are things that I have tuned my ear to that you can't hear that I can hear. Okay? I've told that illustration before. When I started working at the Toro shop, I remember that they, they would pull an engine that had bad valves and say, do you hear that? And I go, well, no, I don't hear anything. And they say, you can't hear that. No, and he'd pull it again. And I'd say, no, I don't hear that. And he'd pull it again. And after a while, I begin to, oh, there's a sucking sound. The valves are bad. And I all I had to do was pull that rope on an engine, and I could hear it. I go, bad valves. I knew it. I had tuned my ear. Guys, we've got to tune our ear to the Holy Spirit. That takes work. That means every day I'm listening. And as I begin to hear it, I act on it. I do what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. If we hear the Holy Spirit and say no, it's not going to keep bothering you. See, the difference between Jesus and me is Jesus comes and asks you to do something, and you say no to him, and he just walks away and leaves you alone. I come to you and ask you to do something, you tell me no. I come back and ask you again. You know, I'm not being Jesus when I do that. He is not going to pester you and force you. You have to be obedient to him. We have the power of the Holy Spirit with us. Secondly, we also have the fellowship of the church. See, that's being disregarded so much these days. Everybody says, well, I'm busy. You don't have time. You know, I'll go to church when I got time. You know, it's not that important. Let me tell you something right now. There's nothing further from the truth. That is a lie from the pit of hell itself. The church is absolutely important. The fellowship of the church is absolutely important. If you want to truly live out this kind of life, where you are given to him, where you live as a living sacrifice, where you give him everything and where you're transformed into his image, you will meet with the church, you will meet in fellowship and Bible study, and you will meet in worship, and you will meet at other times over lots of coffee, good coffee, not bad coffee, really good coffee, and you will talk, and you will pray together, and you will meet on Wednesday nights, and you will get on your knees, and we will pray together. You know what bothers me a lot right now? I'm, I'm just being real honest right now, and I know I'm being honest with a good crowd. I probably should wait and preach this, but what bothers me a lot is that on Wednesday nights, there's only about eight of us that gather for prayer. The rest of you don't need to, I guess. We need to pray. And that's part of how you're going to get through this, is you're going to be here to pray. You're going to wait on the Lord. You're going to, you're going to join in with all of us to pray. And you know what? I've got to tell you something. When you pray like that with other people, you're strengthened. There's power in that. It's life-changing. 
Didn't expect to hear too many amens, but it's there. The question is this morning, and I'm going to wrap this all up. Will you be conformed to the patterns of this world? And you got to answer it. I can't. One of the patterns of the world is to be too smart to come to church. One of the patterns of the world is to be too intelligent to get on your knees to pray. One of the patterns of the world is to be too strong to be weak in the presence of the Lord. Will you be conformed to the patterns of this world or will you be transformed? Now, I want to finish up with this. There's a lot at stake here. A lot at stake. You know, I'm 61 years old. I figure four, five, six more years, somebody else is going to be probably pastor of the church. And if, you know, if this church makes it or doesn't at that point, it's not my problem, you know, so to speak. Not really, because I love you guys, and that would not be how I really would feel. But my point is this, that in a few years, I'm going to be done with this part of my life. But what I'm doing now will matter for generations. Just like I said to Maddie up here, what you choose right now in your life, if you choose to say, I don't have to listen to that and blow him off, it's going to matter to your family for the next three generations at least. The choices you make with your life will matter for a very long time. My grandfather was not a Christian. Back probably about 1930, 32, something like that, my mother was sitting outside playing with her dolls, and he was outside working on his car, and she swore up a blue streak as a little girl, cussed out her dolls, told them all to go you know where, and he went, oh, because he heard his voice in her because that's how he was living his life. And God got a hold of his heart, and he got on his knees, and he repented of his sin. And he made a decision to give his life fully to Christ. He was the pastor at Vermillion's Friends Church when he died. Right down the road here on 332, it turns into 228 over there. And my mom became a pastor, and she led me to Jesus. And I became a pastor, and I led my sons to the Lord especially I think one of them is called he hasn't answered that yet but he will someday I'm not worried about it God is in his timing see that changed when my grandfather made that decision to do what God wanted him to do it changed my life and I thank God for that because I have no idea where I would be outside of that it's going to change my grandchildren's lives it is so, that's the question today. I've said a lot of things, and I know I've taken way too much time. But this is a heavy thing for me. It really has been. God has really spoken in my heart. Will we be transformed? Will we have that transformation, or will we just go on and say, well, I'm a Christian, and I'll do what I want, and I'll just flirt with the world? And, or will we fully give our hearts to Christ, be transformed by the renewing of our minds? I've asked Nathan to come up. I don't know if he can play something with guitar or not. His broken guitar, he can give us a little. And I don't think we're going to sing this morning. What I want you to do is, I want you to stand with me right now, though. And um, 
We're going to just have him strum behind us, play a little bit of something. And as he's playing, I'm going to pray. And if God is speaking to anybody's hearts and they want to pray this morning around the altar, I'd love to meet you down here to pray. After we get done with that, I'm probably just going to go ahead and pray with everybody that's down here. And I may, I probably, well, I know, I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to have a dismissal prayer. This is it. After that time, if nobody comes, we'll leave. If they do come, you can leave as you want to, or you can come and pray with us. It's up to you. But let's, let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given to me. My heart is pretty heavy right now. Because, Lord, I want to see your will get done on earth. I want to see your church alive. I want to see your church making a difference. I don't want to just go through the motions. Lord, we, we, need, a, we need a transformation. Each one of us here needs to get closer to you. Most of us, Lord, probably need a full reworking of our hearts. Well, we believe in you, but Lord, so many of us are still trying to flirt with the world, hang on by our fingertips into your life and keep our foot in the world, straddling a fence. It's not going to work. So Lord, tonight, today, I just invite your people to come and to pray and to meet with you. Lord, I believe you're here. I believe you're at these altars. I believe right now you want to speak to hearts. So thank you, Lord, for being here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you would like to pray, I'm going to sit up here for a little while. And uh, if you want to pray with me, please come. We'll pray together. If not, that's okay too. It's up to you. I don't want anybody to feel any kind of guilt. I'm just not that kind of a sermon. It's, a, it's an invitation to the presence of the Lord, to saying yes to Him and to giving Him everything. Amen. 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 God's good. He's here right now, and He's speaking to a lot of hearts. I don't normally hang on much, but I just feel like God is speaking to a lot of hearts today. He has been speaking to mine so hard. I've been so willing to try to grow churches for my own strength, for my own glorification, to try to do my own thing. And God, I am so sorry. Forgive me for that. Oh, Jesus, right now, you're so good to us. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. He's speaking to your heart. Don't hold back. Come on up. We're going to pray together here in just a moment. It's going to be a great time. And you're invited to come be a part just around there. If, you, if everything's good and you're in the place you need to be on, praise the Lord for that. But we invite everybody who wants to come up and pray around these who are here. We don't have to lecture them or try to fix them. Or, it's not your job. We're just going to pray for them. And just uh, join me in prayer. Just join me in prayer. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, one of the things I've learned in my life is that a lot of times 
that starts with us confessing our sins. And you go, well, I'm a Christian, and I know, and I am too, and I believe in Jesus, but I have to confess that at times I have been very selfish and self-centered. At times I have tried to make things go my way. At times I have tried to uh, get everybody to notice what I do. I am a person who has tried to live by some of the things of the world, and I'm laying those down today. Jesus, you're in charge right now. You own me. I have presented my life to you. And I realize, Lord, that that one moment will not change everything. It's a beginning place. Lord, I need a transformation. I need you to come. Lord, I have met with you. Lord, right now up and down these altars, there are people who need to meet with you fresh and new today. They need a fresh touch upon their hearts. They need a fresh encounter with Jesus. Lord, right now I'm praying that you will show up in such a way that people will know that they've met with you, that it's not just a, I feel better and I'm glad and dust it off and go on. But Lord, I pray that they will meet with you and they will encounter you face to face and their hearts will be challenged and their lives will be challenged and they'll realize that I can't keep going on like this. The world depends on Christians, not just saying I'm a Christian, but living this out, giving their life to you, a living sacrifice. You're going to change lives. You're going to change destinies today because people are willing to give you everything and they're surrendering their lives to you. Lord, right now in Jesus' name, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just fall in this place and that you'll begin to do that work in people and they'll make decisions that they're going to be a part of fellowship and they're going to be a part of of daily putting their life up in reflection so that you can look at it and you can help them change and grow, that daily we're going to become more and more and more like you, that we're not going to drop out and we're not just going to get by, but Lord, you're going to do something big in the church. And it begins right here, Lord. We're nailing it down right here. We're saying today, I'm his and he is mine. So Lord, right now, just do something big here. Right now, move in these people that are kneeling here, Lord. You know the needs. We just surrender it all to you. Every part of it right now. Every part of it right now. Fresh and new. We need a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. We need a fresh touch. And we need to resolve in our hearts today. We're going to do what you ask us to do. Lord, help us to hear your Spirit. That still, small voice. Speak loudly into our ears today. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we're believing you for this transformation. I know, Lord, that you have begun it in me. Lord, it has not been easy. I've got an old rusted out life. I'm all beat up. There's dents in me, and you're pounding them out, and sometimes it's not easy, and sometimes I struggle, but God, you are doing in me a new work, and you're changing me. I'm not the same person that I was. Lord, I have surrendered everything to you, and you are making me into your image, and I just give you praise today. I worship you, Lord, and I speak into each life here that they will become your children, that they will do what you ask them to do, that they will become life-changing, that Muncie will never be the same from this day forward. We are going to see it be different. Lord, we just believe that right now. Praise you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, I lift you up and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise you, Lord. Praise you. Anybody that needs to continue to pray, feel free. Amen.